embrace not getting it perfect. So many people I talk to, they're like, oh, I can't do it yet because of X, Y, Z. They wait years and years. Just just put something out there. If this is something that you believe is going to help your audience, then you're stealing from them if you don't <laughs> if you don't offer it to them. So, you know, make the offer, do it dirty, do it like do it imperfectly and just see what happens. And the other thing is test things and pay attention. So, if you put an offer out and it doesn't sell, do the research to figure out why it didn't sell so that you can tweak whatever needs to be tweaked in order to sell it better the next time. You are listening to the Launch Playbook Podcast, the weekly podcast for service-based business owners to discover the starts, stops, and tools of transformation that go into launching their online offers. I'm your host, Sarah Vartanian. And if you want to launch your ideas into the world faster with more success and less burnout, well, friend, consider this show your secret playbook to get you there. Today, I'm chatting with Sandra Booker, an online business manager and growth strategist specializing in helping overworked, overwhelmed, multi-hatted entrepreneurs become the CEOs of sustainable, scalable, and profitable businesses. I am so excited to speak to Sandra today because she is someone that I have followed and admired in the online industry for years and years. And so getting to spend an hour chatting with her in this interview feels like so special. And honestly, I feel really lucky to have this time with her. It's something I've talked about before on the podcast, how when you, you know, you're hosting this time, it's like you get to have a special strategy hour with the person <laughs> that you're talking to. And that feels really lucky. And I'm so glad that I can bring Sandra and her expertise to the Launch Playbook podcast today. Welcome, Sandra. Thanks so much for having me, Sarah. I'm really excited for this conversation, too, because I've been following you for a while as well. So it's nice <laughs> to actually get to speak to you one-on-one. Oh, my gosh. It's going to be such a great conversation. I have so many good questions lined up for you. <laughs> We're going to maximize our time together. <laughs> So, Sandra, of course, I've already mentioned I've heard your name from so many business owners I admire over the years. I've seen you in the online space for years. Tell us a bit more about how you work with these entrepreneurs. My my services, I tend to, I, I have clients that have been with me for so long that they're still, they're still from when I was offering virtual assistant services. So I have a couple of people on my team that help them with like virtual assistant services. But the way I work with my clients, basically I run their business. So I have some who they, it's just fractional business management where I'm there for consultation and support. And we set up like a, a meeting cadence and we work on planning and goal setting and business assessment and all of that so that they know where they're going, what they're trying to drive to. And then we talk about like how to get there and like, what KPIs they should be looking at and, you know, what they should be keeping their eye on and what projects they should be working toward, working on each quarter, things like that. So those are my fractional business management clients. And then I have a couple of clients that I've been working with for years and years, just running their business. One's, you know, Laura Belgray, one's Tarzan Kate. Tarzan's probably the one that I do the most for in regards to business management. So I'm in there. I, she calls me the boss of her business. <laughs> so, cause I, I do manage the team. I manage the projects. I, handle all of the the goal setting like we i i'm the one that's driving the goal setting and things like that making sure that we're all all on the same page moving forward so that's kind of the you know overview of what i'm doing in their business so oh my gosh that's a lot and i feel like we all like right now i'm nodding going like i need a sample my business <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. So you call a lot of familiar names in the online business space, your clients like Shanti Zach, you mentioned Tarzan Kale or Belgrade, and you get to work with them on their launches. Yes. So now the big question, <laughs> what does it take to have those kind of big six-figure launches? So it's funny because it's, it's a, it's a, it's a hard question to answer because it really is different for everybody. Like what, you know, for instance, what Laura Belgrade might do for her launches is going to be different than what Tarzan does for hers and what Shanti does for hers and all of that. But I would say like the big thing in order to have six figure launch, one, you need some support. It, it's really hard to, to do it all yourself and still be happy at the end of it. So even a little bit of support, just having somebody to load your emails for you so that you have two sets of eyes so that the links work and you're not having to send out a bunch of oops emails and that the sales page is loading and things like that. Having that second pair of eyes would be super, super handy. And then two, you need to have a really good connection with your audience. So if all you've done is, you know, put out a freebie and really never spoke to anybody on your, on your email list, it's going to be much harder to sell into that six figures than you know, if you've been nurturing them, if you've been getting to know them, if you've been actually actively figuring out who the, they are. And I'd say knowing who they are is really important. To be, and then writing your messages to them and, you know, and segmenting your list as well. So those are really the like the big factors that kind of transcend every type of launch that I've seen is that if you don't have a really good relationship with the, the, your audience, it's gonna you're going to struggle. And if you don't have some support, somebody to lean on and, you know, a second pair of eyes, you're going to struggle. And so you're mentioning getting a second pair of eyes on our emails. What kind of support would be ideal, would you think, for, let's say, people who were maybe hitting those first five-figure launches and then want to start going forward and, you know, aiming for those six figures? So it depends on where you're struggling, honestly. So I've seen some people where it's the, the support, like if you're already doing a five-figure launch, you have to figure out where is the the issue. So sometimes it's your conversion rate. So, and it can be your conversion rate from like, depending on what you're doing for your launch, but maybe it's like, you're not getting enough people in your webinar, or maybe you're not getting enough people going from your webinar to your sales page, or maybe you're not getting enough people to convert from your sales page to actually buying. So you do have to look at your numbers at each stage and figure out where you can optimize that conversion rate. If all your conversion rates are really good and it's just, you know, you're struggling writing enough email or, you know, you don't have enough time to load the emails and like do all the things that you need to do, then maybe you might just need some support with like from a virtual assistant to actually be the person loading those emails for you and making sure that those, those things are, are done and working and running properly. You can look at like a lodge manager type person, but that's not, again, that's like if you're having trouble making sure that everything is happening on time, if you're trying to have like expiring bonuses, but they're not actually expiring or <laughs> yeah. not actually be loaded properly, then having a lodge manager might be useful. So I always steer clear from telling people like, this is what you need, because it really does depend on what's happening in your launch. One of my, my, my clients is a copywriter, and many of my clients is, <laughs> are copywriters, <laughs> but one of them is a copywriter, and she's an amazing copywriter. But when you're writing for yourself, sometimes you miss the obvious. So she had 
down a launch and she was saying, you know, Sandra, I don't know what's happening. Like, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm like, let me take a look at your sales page. And I'm not a copywriter, but I am a second set of eyes. And I do work with so many copywriters. I've learned a lot through osmosis. And I was able to just look at her. I'm like, I just, I can't remember what her heading was, but I was like, is that what they, your people want? And she's like, no. <laughs> I'm like, well, let's change up that header. She changed that up, filled her program. Like it was literally like two tweaks on her sales page and it changed, turned everything around. Sometimes you just need somebody else to look at it. So don't think you have to do everything yourself. Oh my gosh. I, <laughs> I'm nodding my head because I, as, as a copywriter too, I'm often hiring other copywriters for my own stuff yeah. because it's yeah. so challenging <laughs> to do your own thing. So you mentioned looking at the numbers from stage to stage in a launch. Is there sort of like, let's call it, is there like an estimate or a range that we can tell that our conversion rate's good? How do we know? Yeah. Again, that's really, it's hard to say because like, if you look at industry averages, that usually like, which industry are you looking at and how accurate are those? Where are they from? And it also depends on who you're sending the email to. Is it like if you're sending an email to your entire email list versus a small segment of your email list who you know is interested in the product, then your rates are going to be different. So typically, if you're just looking from, regardless of what you do in the middle part, but if you're just looking at the people you've emailed versus the people who bought, then if you're sending to your whole list, you know, one to 2% is not bad. It's pretty average. So I would try and aim for like that you know, one and a half to 2%, you'd be doing pretty good if you're looking at your whole, your list as a whole. If you're doing a small segment of your list, then that should be your, your sales should, for those people should be like five to 8% or more. Usually like, you know, if you're doing six to 7%, you're doing pretty, pretty good. And there's probably room, there's always room for improvement, but look at the spot that is, you know, you might be struggling with more. In regards to like other stats, what you can do is, especially if you've launched it before, then just look at what you've done before and just try and do better than what you've done before. Like trying to compare yourself to yourself because mm-hmm. if you're comparing to like a lot of other people, like there's so many factors in a launch because it's, it depends on, it depends on your offer. It depends on your price. It depends on your relationship with your list. It depends on how good your sales page is. It depends on the words that you used in your webinar or whatever you there's so many little factors that it's really hard to say, like, this is definitively the conversion rate you should be getting. But if you're doing like a webinar or something like that, then you're probably going to want to see a good 30 people, 30% of the people who sign up to actually show up to the webinar. Like that is kind of like a minimum usually. And then of those people, you're going to want to have, you know, I'd say at least... I've seen some people say 30% sell on the webinar. I would say at least 10% of the people who attend, you'd probably want them to be buying. So again, it depends. Like, it's really hard when you're looking at numbers because people will be like, do you, I just look at the people who attended the webinar when I'm looking at that number? So I'd say like, if 10% of the people who showed up to your webinar buy, that's, that's pretty decent. Like buy, like within that day, that's pretty decent. That's really helpful to have like at least some baseline numbers for us to start thinking about. And yeah. I, I love how you pointed out the fact that compare yourself to yourself, like yourself to your last launch mm-hmm. and, and not someone else's. I know at one point I did a, I was an affiliate for Amy Portfield's DCA and Academy and seeing what went on in the back end of that launch, even as someone who like writes launch copy for people, I was, there was so much happening and so many other supports. I'm like, no wonder. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. 
And obviously she's been there for years and has had this team for years, but it was, it was a really good reminder and a reality check to like, to really not compare what you see on the outside. Yeah. You cannot compare. Yeah. (laughs) Because yeah, during, during a big launch like that, a big, huge affiliate launch like that, what's happening at their team is they're looking at all those numbers. They're looking at all those stages and they're seeing, okay, well, oh, geez, normally, normally we have X amount, you know, X percent of people signed up by now. So let's do some extra things to try and get more people in. And they have such a big team or, you know, big support team for it that they can pivot and move and add, you know, a bit easier than like, than just little old you or little old me, like, you know, me and one other person, if you're like, I'm going to do another webinar, it's going to be a totally different topic halfway through my lunch. We've never even talked about it. Your team, even if if you have two or three people, they're going to be like, are we? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Are you sure? (laughs) I don't think we are, but they have the support. So you can't, yeah, you can't compare. Like if you look at Marie's stuff, like her website, her, her landing page for her webinar, that's, it's split test and her landing page for the sales page is split test. Everything is split test. She has teams. She has like, you know, special code, like special, like developer coding her sales page. So you're not going to get, if you're using lead pages, you're not going to get a sales page as, you know, fun and funky as very poorly. And and that's totally fine. Like you can work up to that. So, and I think a lot of us too are probably not doing split testing on those type of things. Like it's, it's much more complicated when it's just a small team or yeah. yourself to, to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's why I, yeah. I like a tool like lead pages or something, because you can, you can just pay for the like you're going into a launch, up your upgrade your service so that you can do some split testing, downgrade your service afterwards if you want, but upgrade so you can do some split testing so that you can actually have two different versions of your webinar landing page or your pre-launch content, your sales page or whatever. And then it, it gives you a lot of good insight when you're doing the, the split tests. But mm-hmm. you have to remember to only change one thing. Like you can have like two wholly different pages and split test those. That's fine. But if you're, when you, then you start getting down to the nitty gritty and just change one thing and see how that goes. So it's, it is a lot to do when you're by yourself. So Yeah. I'd like that you call that out too, because I was going to ask, you were saying again, back through these stages, you know, that one, you know, from what are you bringing people in to the sales page and all these things that can change? Where like, do you recommend that we focus on, let's say from launch to launch, focusing on like one main area to change, or could it be one thing per area? Like what should we like? How, I guess how do we start putting incrementing the, putting those changes into place so that we can yeah, actually track I, them? We usually like you know if you're because usually you're going through you know you're launching stages. So when we're going through, we start the registrations for like webinar or for like our live training series or for a challenge or whatever it is. We're going to look at how well is that page converting, and if we can, we're going to tweak some things to try and get page to convert better. So double checking. Usually we're going to double check our headlines, make sure that it's looking good on mobile. So many people design on desktop and never look on mobile. And it's, you need to be looking at your stuff on mobile. So yeah, so definitely looking to make sure that it's, it's good on mobile, making sure that like the registration page button isn't too far down. They have testimonials up higher, doing like little tweaks like that when you're on the registration page. And then when you get to the sales page, same thing. So once you start selling, then if your webinar is overlapping, which it often does, but you're converting fairly decently there, you can, you know, turn your attention to your sales page and make sure that it's going to convert. 
really well there. But if you get to the sales thing and your webinar is still not converting, you're still not getting people on, then you would need to think about that for your next round. That you need to make sure you have something converting. Sometimes it's not what's on the page either. Sometimes it's just the content. If there's a mismatch between the webinar topic that you're putting up there and the people that's on your list, then they're not going to convert, especially if it's newer people that came in on a freebie. If they like, if they came in on a freebie that was wholly unrelated to your webinar topic, they're not ready to, to go to move on. So I see, I do see some people who they don't really have a big list yet. So they just think they can run ads and they create a freebie and they get a bunch of people on their ad through their ads onto their freebie into their list. And then they offer them something that's completely different than what they just attracted them with. And then they wonder why nobody's converting. Those are such good tips. This episode of the Launch Playbook Podcast is brought to you by my free launch maps. They're a complete step-by-step map of all your launch assets. So you know exactly what messaging notes to hit and when to share each piece of copy. Because I know that you have signed up for many freebies over the years, only to be disappointed with the Canva PDF that hardly gave you any info. But I promise you the launch maps aren't that. When I showed these to my OBM, she literally walked off the screen that I was giving away this for free. This is the exact launch map template I use for every single one of my one-on-one clients. And inside, you'll be able to personalize, tweak, and repeat a strategy for your messaging for each and every launch from pre-launch to post. Go and get your free launch map at www.sarahvartanian.com slash launch dash map. Lead pages, do you recommend we use those for our landing pages and our sales pages during the launches as opposed to building them right on our site? Depending on your site, I do because a lot of us, if we built our site ourselves, we're not necessarily optimized for traffic. Look, you know, kind of look at your bounce rate. If you have your analytics turned on, look at your bounce rate. If your bounce rate is 60% or higher, you might want to build on a stronger server because most of us have like the lowest package for hosting and we've used a drag and drop builder like Divi Builder or Beaver Builder or something like that. And we're on WordPress and there's a bunch of bloat like on all of that. If you're on something... Like if you're on Squarespace, you might have a better time of it. Or if you're on Show It, you might have a better time of it. Their servers are more optimized for getting people there. Their, the bounce rate on those pages tends to be a lot lower. So, but yeah, if your site is on WordPress and it's basically you've built it yourself, there's a good chance you're going to want to put it somewhere else because what you don't want is somebody going to your sales page or your register, you know, webinar registration page. And be there for three or four seconds trying to get the page to load. They'll just leave. Even if you're building on your own site, make sure that you're optimizing your images so that they're small file size. You want your images to load. Don't stack your sales page or your webinar thing with GIFs. Have one GIF if you want, but if it's at the top of the page, try for a static image because GIFs tend to be large file size. They take a little while to load. So some, if you're, if it's the first thing somebody sees, it's not going to usually load for them really quickly. So if it's down farther on the page, it gives it time to load before somebody gets there. So it's a lot about the user experience, like, and how that will be. Yeah, yeah. And then what about, like, when you're, you're mentioning having these for, like, our sales pages and, our, and things like that in our funnels, 
for if we had a one-to-one service or things like that, because I know some of our listeners also have that one-to-one service as well as launching a product, would you say those could be on our page or should we also be optimizing those for traffic on those on like something like a lead pages if we have WordPress or something like that? Yeah, I usually do like my services and things that they're on my page. But again, double check your bounce rate, double check your page, mm-hmm. make sure that. And when you're when I'm saying double check, make sure that like you clear your cookies, clear your cache and then try going to your page and see how it loads or go to a completely different computer and try and see how it, how it loads and checking it on mobile as well. Because, yeah, if it's loading slow or it's glitchy or it's anything like that you're going to need to do some edits and you might even have to do some upgrades to your to your site hosting depending on your traffic levels. Sandra, I think this is so helpful because we haven't covered anal- like looking at analytics or, or bounce rates and things like this before in the podcast. And I know that it can be so disheartening we're putting all this effort into our launch stuff. And if maybe it's just that there's something actually going with our website, that's an easy fix for us yeah. compared to some of the other stuff that we might need to be doing. <laughs> a little less daunting than maybe getting in the tra- in like more audience, but we, that's something that we can control more, it sounds yeah. like. Yeah, for sure. Nice. It's nice to have one of some things like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And honestly, like, don't be afraid to do like interesting and new things the lazy way. Like I've seen people have really successful launches for things like, you know, application-based memberships or high ticket services. By just having a Google Doc, like their sales page is a Google Doc. It has like a heading, an image, the information, and a link to a to a checkout or a link to the application. And I've seen some people have some really good results with that because one, it's a pattern interrupt. People don't aren't used to seeing that. And two, it's just it's just simple. It works really well if you have if you're really engaged with your audience and they like they know already know like and trust you. If you have like you know big fans, that something like that will definitely tends to work really well. And then it's also a really good test. If it's the first op- time you've put it out as an offer, why spend $2,500 on a sales page, having somebody design a sales page for you? Just do a Google Doc and see how well it sells. Get some feedback, get some voice of customers, research done, and then go from there. Oh my gosh, that's so good. All about being scrappy. Yeah, <laughs> like, being scrappy. Testing. <laughs> so is there a way we can predict when a business will hit a six-figure launch? Honestly, not Really, I've seen some surprising things happen where it's like some like itty bitty people with 100 or 200 people on their list manage to have with like a high ticket offer, like they sell half the people on their list and they have a six figure launch. So it's not like that's those are definitely the outliers. I would say like I because I, I've also seen people that have like thousands, like tens of thousands of people on their list struggle to hit six figures consistently. So I would say like. It really, the, going back to how engaged is your audience, how aligned is your offer to your audience? That's really the key factor. Like all of the tricks and stuff you can do to override somebody's critical thinking areas in order to get them to press the buy button. Like you can do all those tricks, but it really is people need to see and understand and believe that you have the solution to their problem and that you understand what their problem is. If there's a mismatch of that, no, no amount of red, yellow, flashing, limited time offer, fake urgency is going to get people to buy. So mentioning those things that can override our decision making. And there's been a lot of talk about that in the online space, I feel like, especially in the past couple of years. And I think more and more people are calling attention to maybe this isn't great or an integrity or ethical even to do. Are there some practices that you are seeing shift in that respect over the last few launches you've done? 
Yeah, I see. I do see a lot of people really paying more attention to that. Using persuasion techniques is not a bad thing. It's because sometimes some of those things are helpful. Sometimes people need them. Like we get stuck in, you know, analysis paralysis all the time. We get stuck in like, is this the right move forward? And we will talk ourselves out of doing the thing we need. We know we need to do because we're scared, you know. Of, of making the wrong decision or of not being able to follow through or of failing or whatever it is. So sometimes those persuasion techniques are useful. Some, there are some people who need to see a timer because they are, they totally don't have any relationship with time. So they'll get a, you know, promo email at the beginning of a thing and it'll say you have two weeks and they'll say, great, I have all the time in the world. And then if you don't put a timer in that offer at the very last minute, they're going to miss it because even though that they want to buy, just because of the way their brain works. So I think the problem comes when you layer all of them on top of one another purposely to trick people into buying something. If you don't believe that your offer is the solution to a problem and you have to rely on those tricks to get people to buy, that's that's where there's an issue. And I actually wrote an email about it and I got like, really angry at one point, but those things work. So I'm not telling, I would never tell somebody not to work, to use those things because they do work. There's a reason people use them, but just understand that like color can change how chocolate tastes. So if you're using color to persuade people, you understand that that's what you're doing. If you're using blinking, you know, flashing timers and like limited time offers, whether, whether they're fake or real, you're using all sorts of, you know, Prices going up, last minute, you're, you could be like me, look at me standing on a plane, whatever, and just know what you're doing when you're using those things and be okay with what you're doing. Understand that you're actually overriding somebody's brain and their critical thinking process. And I'm, I can't tell you whether to do that or not. It works. I prefer not to do that. I would rather somebody in my program or I'd rather work with somebody who understands that I am the solution to their problem. Absolutely. It sounds a lot like what really matters is our intent behind it. <laughs> yeah. And it being just like in, in integrity with, I guess, ourselves and, and how we want to be as marketers and, and as humans. <laughs> yeah. And how we're using those things. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What would you like to see more business owners embrace when it comes to lunch? I would just like to see more people embrace not getting it perfect. I would like so many people I talk to, they're like, oh, I can't do it yet because of X, Y, Z. You know, they wait years and years. Just just put something out there. If this is something that you believe is going to help your audience, then you're stealing from them if you don't, <laughs> if you don't offer it to them. So, you know, make the offer, do it, you know, do it dirty, do it like, do it imperfectly and just see what happens. And the other thing is test things and pay attention. So if you put an offer out and it doesn't sell, do the research to figure out why it didn't sell so that you can tweak whatever needed to be whatever needs to be tweaked in order to sell it better the next time. I've seen many people who like put an offer out, it doesn't sell. So they create another offer, it doesn't sell. They create another offer, it doesn't sell. Rather than, oh, I created software. Why isn't it selling? It's, you know, oh, it's because I'm offering it to, to these people when it's really meant for these people. Like when I first started, when I first started my business, I had on my website, like I was doing a, a blog a week 
And every blog had a different freebie that you could opt into. And they were all about, you know, how to build your business and how to like do customer service stuff. And it was like all over the place. And I couldn't understand why people weren't opting into them. And it was because when I first started, I was a virtual assistant offering virtual assistant services. Nobody was coming to me for business advice. They wanted to come to me to get stuff done. So they didn't want the business advice from me because one, they didn't think I actually like when people, it's unfortunate, but when people think of a virtual assistant, they will often put them below themselves in the hierarchy, which is a mistake because your virtual assistant often knows a lot of things that you should be listening to. But yeah, so but, but people, if they're coming to you for oranges and you're talking to them about bananas, they're not going to listen to you. So that makes so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And then if things aren't going so well in a launch. I know you mentioned again, looking at these different spots along the way, but are there a few things that we can do, a few levers we can pull that may help at least boost our numbers a little bit? Yes. Oh, it depends on, again, where the issue lies, but assuming that it's like your sales page is out, everything else was good, but now your sales page isn't converting. First of all, check to see Hopefully you can. If you're using lead pages, I know you definitely can, but you can see like if your checkout page is separate, right? So if, are people clicking to the checkout and then not completing? Because when somebody goes to the checkout, like you should be seeing from checkout to purchase 60 to 75% conversion on that. Once people go to the checkout, it has to be something really weird that happens that gets them to not buy. So if you're seeing that like people are getting to the checkout page, but then not buying, like maybe your checkout is, you're only converting at checkout for 20% or something. There's something on your checkout page that's a problem. Look at it on mobile, like make sure the fort test it, make sure it's working, make sure it's not asking for any weird information that people don't want to put in. Like, you know, if you're asking for a phone number, make sure it's optional, make sure you say why you want it, those kinds of things. Usually it's not the checkout page that's the problem. It's really rare for that to be, but it's still worth looking at. Usually it's the sales page. So make sure that your, you know, your heading is like, like they can see, like, this is what it's for. Like, this is the, you're answering the thing, the, the, the problem that they have. And you're saying like, this is your solution. This is why I'm coming here. Make sure you have testimonials high up. So those are all like little tweaks that I'm sure you've talked about before. I'm sure I've heard you talk before. But the other thing, which I think I've heard you talk about this too, actually, is but worth mentioning again, is personal outreach. So this is really good if you have a small list, but even if you don't have a small list, you can see who's been the most engaged in, in the launch. So one thing I do is like, anytime somebody clicks to the sales page, I make sure that they're tagged. So I can see all the people who have already click to the sales page so I know that they've been engaged. So you can see somebody who's like, if you have a couple of different pre-launch content and they've clicked to your sales page a few times, then you know like, okay, this person is, there's they're interested in this. They keep opening my emails. They keep clicking the page. What's stopping them? Reach out to them saying, hey, you know, see that you might be interested in this program or this offer. I wanted to check in with you, see if there's any questions I can offer. Might get on a call with you, whatever you want to offer, but do some personal outreach and, you know, Again, like if, if your product is $37, you're probably not going to stop and do personal outreach in the middle. But if it's like, you know, a $1,500 product, it can be worth doing that personal outreach. And then definitely like doing a launch debrief at the end, chatting with people, asking people, doing some voice of customer work, you know, like hire somebody to, to actually 
chat with the people who bought and the and people who didn't buy to get to to get down to why like what's happening where's where the where is the disconnect but a lot of times you can actually just look and go okay well i just i just had them on a webinar about you know knife sharpening and now i'm asking them about timeshares in you know belize like (laughs) that's what i'm trying to sell those things are not connected so that's probably the problem that's so helpful. I hope you're all taking so many notes. And that comment around the tagging thing, I think I have talked about that. And I believe I've heard that way back from you years ago, for sure, which is why I started doing it in my business, for sure. And like getting my clients to like, make sure you do that. Yeah. <laughs> to, actually, yeah. to actually see who's interested. And then is there some part of a launch that is your very favorite? Do you have an area that you really like to work on or focus on when you're doing launches? And I do so many of them. Like, I can't... <laughs> I think what I really like doing is I do really like looking at looking at the sales page and say and asking like is this the thing that would move me forward? Is this the thing that would move somebody forward? Just kind of finding those little tiny tweaks. I love it when, you know, some I, I hate it when somebody's launch is going poorly, but I love it when there's like something that's not going right and I'm able to just look at it and go Oh, well, let's just move this testimonial up here. Like, let's replace this testimonial with this testimonial. Let's see. Sometimes it's just a simple thing. Like, oh, like that color, it's really hard to see. Like, you have this image behind your heading and I can barely read the text. And even if I can read the text, I don't want to because it's very distracting and distressful. So let's tweak that. Let's make a color overlay so that you can't actually, you can barely see the image. You just want it for the texture. You don't want it for the image. And just little things like that I love. I love kind of I feel, I feel like with all your skills you'd be like the best investigator in the launch <laughs> <laughs> the best, yeah. best detective on the case like let yeah. me dig in here <laughs> I tell you, i'm not shy like i am i'm not a yes person so people ask me all the time because if i you know if you if we go shopping together you put on a dress and you say how does this look i'm not gonna be mean but if i'm like mm, it's not the most flattering on you i will tell you like let's keep looking. You know, if you send copy to me and say, how do you like this copy? I'm going to say, oh, I like this part. I like this part, but we need to change here and here. Let's think. And I don't usually tell, say like, we need to change this. I'll just say, I'll just ask the question. Like, is this, is this what your audience wants? Is that what they're, because maybe I don't know. I could be wrong, but like, just, Mm -hmm. just ask yourself the question. Like, take a second and ask yourself, would this move me forward? Put yourself in your audience's shoes and like, if this is how you were feeling, is this what's going to get you out of that feeling, like move you forward into the buy? That's, that's so makes so much sense. And a great question. As we get to the end of our interview and my final question for you, Sandra, which is if our listeners could only walk away with one thing from this episode, what do you hope it would be? I hope it would be to not give up. I hope it would be to do the investigation and, you know, keep trying because the worst thing you can do is have a fantastic offer that you put, you know, poured your heart and soul into, try it once and then say, well, didn't work, move on. If you think it's really the answer to somebody's prayers, then you owe it to themselves and to them and to yourself to actually, you know, try again. That's such a perfect way to end this interview. I think just this I feel like it's very hopeful and it's very practical as well that we want to like keep going out there. As you said, like, don't just give up before earlier, but keep putting the work in the investigation in to figure out what's going on. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and I yeah. love that. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to jump from 
offer to offer blind. If you are going to create a new offer, you need to know, like, what was it about this one that they didn't like? Because otherwise you're just going to repeat the same stuff. (laughs) That makes so much sense. So Sandra, where can our listeners find out more about working with you? You can always find me at my website, anyoldtask.ca.com to get you there as well. But anyoldtask, all word. And you can also find me on Instagram at anyoldtask. And you have a freebie to share with us too, right, our listeners? Yes, I do. And it's going to be a little incongruous since we were talking all about launches, but to highlight the idea of getting help when you need it. If you've ever wondered what the heck you can get help with in your business, what what could a VA even do for you? There is a task list of like five things you shouldn't be doing in your business pretty much ever and 50 others that you can hand over to a VA. So you can find that at anyoldtask.ca slash task list. Oh my gosh, I know our listeners are going to love that because that's one comment I've heard that a lot of them are looking for support or how to get more support with their lunches. So I think it's really relevant to our conversation because they need it to get to those six free lunches yes. eventually. So we'll put, of course, all those details in the show notes. Sandra, thank you so much for joining me today in the Launch Playbook podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Sarah. This was awesome. It was so much fun. Thanks for tuning into the Launch Playbook Podcast. If you want to get weekly launch secrets in your ears, I hope you'll hit subscribe on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Because who knows? It could reveal just a thing you've been looking for to make your next launch a success. And be sure to leave a five-star review on iTunes telling me how this episode inspired your launch plans. Until next time, keep putting your big ideas out into the world. I'm rooting for you.